0: Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the
1: Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers.
0: That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time.
1: And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work.
0: And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at ReadersPodcast.com.
1: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center, and by... Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence.
0: We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, which I'm pleased to offer in return, member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to the written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com.
1: When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, He does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte.
0: But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, today we're visiting with Donna Love Wallace uh, on this under the covers uh, episode of Charlotte Rear's podcast. We're talking about her debut poetry book, Between the Stones. It's a book inspired by Donna's personal journey, with breast cancer. Donna is from Louisville, North Carolina, and we are meeting remotely today during the pandemic, recording in April 2020. Donna, how you doing?
2: I'm wow, doing great and so yeah. glad to be here with something yeah. to
0: do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something exactly. different. Something different. So uh you know, we're we're remote. You're in where you are, and I'm where I am, but we can see each other. But uh first of all, congratulations on the book. Uh that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of praise for the book. Uh We had uh, one author here who said the poet captures dread with such precision. On the page, that you experience her offstage desperation? Instead of recording emotions, her surreal scenes make you feel. When I finished Between Stones for the fourth time, I went out to pick up the morning paper. I noticed that my arms were flapping. I realized that Wallace's magic had seized my subconscious mind and I wanted to fly. It's pretty good. Pretty good mm. stuff there. Yeah, that's nice. And you received a, a, a Wild Acres Artist Residency to complete this book, right? Uh, yes, that's, how you, that's how you got started. Um, I'm not so congratulations on that, but t- tell us about that. How does that work, the residency, and how that came about?
2: I had, uh, in fact, the poet that you quoted on the praise, uh, Michael Gaspeny, Uh, had told me about Wild Acres and a writer's workshop that takes place there. It's located on the top of a mountain over by Little Switzerland in North Carolina. It is an idyllic mountain setting. And uh, once a year, they run a writer's workshop. And so uh, I had been attending classes there and heard about the residency opportunity. And this is great because uh, what you receive out of this is an entire week in a mountain cabin isolated from everyone as much as you want to be. And I would just walk up to the campus and get meals or, and then go back to this cabin that I, I just had completely to myself for a week. And it was, it's a real gift to an artist to be able to, um, have that kind of setting because it allows you to just sort of dive deep and long into your art and really get some work done. So I appreciate, uh, support of the Blumenthal family uh, who own that place and, and award these grants.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a, a great environment, right? It almost sounds a little bit like what we're doing now yes. in, in this remote setting, right? You know, this sheltering in place. Uh, but you need to get out. You need to get out some. You also, uh, your a couple of your poems in this were awarded uh, prizes. Uh, Flying South 2019 awarded your poem, Finishing Touch, Best in Category, and cool to the touch received an honorable mention from North Carolina Poetry Society's mm-hmm. Thomas MacDill Dill Award. Um, so, before we get under the covers here of this book, let's talk about the book cover itself. Uh, we've got lots of uh, lots of colors here. They uh, it looks like they could be uh, stones stacked on top of one another, but they're. Uh, well, how how would you describe what we're seeing here? Because our listeners cannot see what we're looking at.
2: Well, uh, it was uh, inspired by a poem in the book titled, the title poem, Between the Stones. And uh, I gave the manuscript to a graphic artist and said, I have no preconceived notions about this cover. Uh, Read the manuscript and show me what you're inspired to do. And so that was the poem that she, her name's Pam Fish, uh, that Pamela latched upon and, uh, and it, the poem, the setting of the poem is when I'm doing post-surgery exercises that they give you to do where you have to face a wall. And I was facing the stone wall of the fireplace. So I think the, the blocks, the colorful blocks uh, that are the background of the cover in red and orange and pink and purple and beautiful, beautiful bright colors with a pair of arms reaching up. And that's what the exercise was to reach up and up and up. And what shocked me or surprised me, and I was so pleased with the cover when she came back was how colorful, how colorful it was. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it just has, uh, was the perfect cover for this.
0: Yeah. And you've got two hands, uh, maybe forearms attached to them reaching up into the air against the, mm-hmm. against these, these stones and, Ah, uh, you do have that poem in the book, which I think is uh, sort of um, relates to uh, the wall in Jerusalem. Is that right? Am I getting? yeah, that
2: yeah, that that I kind of pulled in an experience when I faced that wall. It reminded me of a time I had traveled to Israel for a couple of weeks, and uh, we went to the western wall in Jerusalem, and that's what they do. They face the wall and pray and they, uh, put, uh, they write prayers on small pieces of paper, some people, and uh, stick them into the cracks between the huge stones that are on that wall. So it's a place of prayer uh, for the Jewish and Christians that uh, visit it. And so that's kind of where that little white uh, piece of paper comes from that you see in one of those hands is the reaching up. So when I was doing these exercises, I my hands would just climb the wall as far as I, and I would mark, I would mark with a piece of paper uh, how high I was able to get that day. Hmm. And uh, that piece of paper is still up there on the fireplace, just as a a reminder to me of uh, what I did during that season.
0: Yeah. So that's a little bit uh, physical in nature. You're trying Mm -hmm. to exercise the Mm -hmm. muscles, but also Mm -hmm. uh, spiritual perhaps, because you're reaching Mm -hmm. for something maybe up.
2: Yeah, the physical and the spiritual. A lot of my poetry tries to bring those two realms together because they figure very large in in just who I am.
0: Okay, so before we get under the covers, uh, a little bit about your your own struggle with cancer that informs this book. Uh, when did you get the diagnosis, and uh, how you doing now?
2: I'm doing fantastic right now. Um, I was diagnosed in March of 2018. Uh, I had sort of some warning signs that we were watching, but the final diagnosis came in March of 2018, so that entire year was spent dealing with the disease, um, and I had a, a double mastectomy, and which requires a two-stage surgery. So, you know, I always felt like I was recovering from something, uh, never was able to really uh, get back to a, a normal self of, at any point in time. So, kind of like stay at home uh, during this quarantine, I took that time to really focus on writing. Uh, and so it was really, I was finally released from medical supervision, gosh, in uh, Halloween, it's October mm. of that year. So it was okay. several months of all kinds of yeah. stuff.
0: All right. Well, are you ready to get under the covers with this book? I am. Yes. All right.
1: If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners.
0: You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me. The first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy.
1: Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. dot com.
0: Okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Between the Stones here. Um, you, you said uh, somewhere, I think, that uh, uh, one in eight women will experience invasive breast cancer sometime during their life, and in this book, you're you're very candid about your own experience um, and you take us to a number of different places. But first about the candid part of this, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of laying yourself out there to some extent with, with what you're writing here. And did you have in mind that you were going to write this as a book initially, or were you just writing to kind of get through the experience?
2: The first thing I wrote was all the details of the appointments and all the information I was receiving, it was like getting a fire hose of information and many things happening day to day. So I wrote out the timeline and when I was ready to write the poetry, it would just put me back in the moment. And I would just begin to write some of the experiences that really stood out at the time. You know, a poet will take whatever grips their, their mind at the moment. So these weren't necessarily written in order. I was just writing poetry because that's, I wanted to return to my critique groups. And mm-hmm. uh, so I I just took what I was going through and turned it to poetry. And they they put up with me for months. They mm-hmm. My critique group buddies lived through
0: yeah. this
2: journey as much as my family. Uh, and they that's are great. my creative family. That's what I uh, call them.
0: That's great. Well, um, you also take us some places in this book that... Uh, Many of us have not been. Um, you take us to the biopsy suite, the grocery store, your closet, a tattoo parlor. I'm curious. Let's talk about the tattoo parlor. Oh. <laughs> you said, I think, a tattoo parlor 350 miles from home. 350 miles. Is that right? Is that yes. how far you went to? Yes. Why did you drive so far to get to a tattoo parlor?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the reconstruction, I had bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction. So that leaves you just, uh, and it was not nipple sparing surgery. So uh, that was just a decision I put off for a while, but knew that some women um, do get nipple tattoos um, or some other kind of artistic tattoo. And I just kind of wanted to return back to my normal so I did a little research on it, but one night my oncologist uh, called me. It was late at night, and we were friends. We we actually went to the same college, and we've known her for decades. And Susan called me, and she said, "I just saw some some work today on a patient t- tattoos that Vinnie Myers uh, out of Maryland um, had done, and he's world famous for this." And he will go around to breast centers throughout the country on occasion and take his inks and everything with him. So he's very well known about this, uh, for doing this. And uh, so I explored that option, and it is very reachable. It's very doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my husband and I, he 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 offered, he said, let's go. Let's mm-hmm. just do an overnight, make an appointment, and, mm-hmm. and get the best that we can. So
0: uh, that's uh, how so I you, ended yeah. up
2: there. I looked at internet clips of, of him and and interviews and works i mean he's been on all the talk shows and so he's very much out there and does superb work
0: i'd never thought about that of course when i'm reading the book i read that poem and i'm thinking wait a minute you know because you talk about taking the show i'm thinking what's going on here and then i thought about it some more and i said oh okay so now you've got a tattoo right and i have two tattoos now (laughs) that's right which is one
2: more than my daughters have and they never thought that would happen
0: you've got that going for you right (laughs) Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk about this a minute. In the structure of the book, is this linear in nature? Did you, in terms of the way you group the poems, did you go from, from how you started to go through these various phases um, and you add a one curious about, cause I'm gonna have a read here in just a second. You add a prose piece at the end about your mother's experience with breast cancer. And I'm a little curious about that. Cause I'm reading this whole piece of poetry and then I get to the end and it's a nice reflection on what you went through uh, sort of side by side with your mother. Um, how did her experience, you know, sort of guide your own experience through this process? Well, that,
2: that piece, and it, it was hard, so hard to make it clear because you never see an essay at the end of a poetry book. And right. so this is an excerpt of an essay that was written by my adult daughter, Elise Wallace, and who is also a writer. Uh, and she wrote and published this essay. And so we took a piece out of it. So this is from my daughter's perspective. Oh. Uh, and at the time she was returning from a through hike on the Appalachian trail and uh, came off for a week uh, to spend this first surgery week with me. And, and so that's where that piece comes from.
0: Okay. And, so I'll, I, I'll, I'll stand corrected. It's not yes. you and your mother, it's your daughter, and you and she's writing yes. about yes. Her, her perspective yes. into your experience. Yes. Okay. That's that's very interesting. And she also then, as I'm reading, as now as I'm understanding that, she took you hiking with her, right? Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. And that was such a, a capstone to the whole breast cancer experience, is right and that was a very important backpacking trip. She took me for three days on a section of the Mountain to Sea Trail, uh, in the uh, in the western part of North Carolina. So it was a very um, moving and proving time for me that mm-hmm. I am back. This is over. Yeah. I'm moving on.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. Well, uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail, no matter what <laughs> segment you're doing, is a challenge, and uh, it can also be lonely too, because very you know the, the the trees cover the trail, and uh, you don't get the views necessarily you would think you know up there. So a little bit isolating, almost. Pretty much, I suppose, like this whole experience was for you, an isolating experience. All right, well, let's read a couple of pieces here because I think uh, uh, our listeners want to hear from you. Uh, You've got the first piece here you're going to read. I think it's called uh, Surgical Options. you want to set that up or say anything about it?
2: Yes, I do. I chose this poem. It's kind of become an iconic poem for this collection. Um, I read it almost at every reading. And it was picked up by one of my critique uh, partners who also teaches, uh, Michael Gaspany, was teaching a workshop to a group of physicians uh, who wanted to learn to write poetry in the Moses Cone healthcare setting. And Michael came to me one day and he said, can I pull that poem and use it in instruction? And I think he he loved it for the metaphor of hangnails. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I will read that to you. And this right. was during a time when he was trying to make a decision on what surgery to have. Surgical options, hangnails, dedicated to Dr. Lori Kellum. I look at my hands and the surgeon's hands, too. She says, I see you have chronic hangnails. We can fix that. We can remove your fingers and replace with titanium digits. I hold the cold, shiny model, examine the joints, how they hinge. I understand this surgery removes the problem, yet requires a new way of grasping things. We've been treating this problem for decades with great success, no chance of recurrence, paper cuts, or arthritis. I look at my hands, channels of veins filling heart's chambers, fingers flush and warm. Pulsing, pressed into my love's palm. Can I part with these fingers? How will I feel?
0: Hangnails. Yeah, so that is uh, that is pretty powerful when you think about the metaphor there. Um, you know, clipping a hangnail and then um, removing uh, your breasts. Um, it says... Well, the- You know, removing the problem, it requires a new way of grasping things. So is that what you were toying with? A new way? Oh, my goodness.
2: Just when you don't think you care, excuse me, a whole lot about a part of your body, you realize you do how much it's a Mm. part of your identity. Mm. And uh, the attitude of the physicians has to be really, this is not a critical of surgeons and their uh, seeming disconnectedness or uncaring. It's a very matter of fact. And mm-hmm. I remember being that appointment and her making the assumption, oh, I'm sure, you know, you want a double mastectomy, I'm sure you want reconstruction and you know, just a matter of fact conversation in her day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's everything to the patient.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh-huh. it's sort of it's sort of like I'm sure you want to live, which means double mastectomy. And then right. the second part is I'm sure you want to try to put this back together as yeah. best you can yeah. with the with the Reconstruct a
2: it, it, yeah, it required it required of me to question my identity as a as a human or as a woman and how much of that is attached to my physical self mm-hmm. and realizing that uh I am much more than my physical self which I knew but I didn't really know in the deepest part of my soul as being this is how I live this is how I think of myself now.
0: Right. Okay. Powerful stuff. Uh, all right, let's move to another one. It's uh, on page thirty-nine, I believe. This uh, this one is called "Finishing Touch." What would you like to say about that?
2: Well, this is. Uh, I wanted to describe the scene, going to this tattoo parlor in Maryland, and what that was like. Because I I am not the kind of person that would have gone to get a tattoo. I think they're fine, but I just uh, was moved to have one and so I wanted to capture every aspect of it and so this poem describes what happened there finishing touch and I dedicated it to my daughter it's dedicated to Blueberry and Blueberry is the adult daughter that wrote the partial essay at the end and that was her trail name on the Appalachian Trail and I really identify with her um uh, 2018 was a year of suffering for both of us, but it was also a year of tremendous accomplishment. So I say, Blueberry, uh, this is for her. A strip mall reclines among rural rolling hills. Little Vinnie's tattoo parlor lacks a clinical vibe, a pool table, cue sticks, leather chairs animal skin, rugs. African ritual masks fix their gaze toward the hallway, where muted voices hover behind black curtained doorways. In the tattoo room, I thumb through back issues of Rolling Stone, then strip to the waist, unfold a paper drape. A room of mirrors where art and artifacts replicate a horde of animal bones, sculpture, and scrimshaw. The twins blend in despite their plain faces, thin-lipped scars of smile and smirk. A dozen ink pots, like small communion cups, hold hues of blue, blush, tawny brown. As he mixes a tinted elixir, my desires dissolve. I tire of all decisions, but this to trust this artist. Do you feel anything? Michelangelo inquires. Nerves severed. I am numb under the tattoo gun. Only tiny bolts of lightning strike far below the silicone. The last sensation I will feel so near finishing touch.
0: Well, um, so how did you feel when you walked out of the tattoo parlor?
2: <laughs> I was amazed. Uh, yeah. He did each side in 10 minutes.
0: Really? That <laughs> it quickly? was very
2: fast. I expected a lot more drama. Um, yeah. And I mentioned that to him and he said, well, when you do 10,000 of these, you, when you've done 10,000 of these, you get pretty fast. So he has done right. women all over the world. And I felt very um, happy uh, with the result and it, it was truly amazing. Uh, it has sort of a 3d look to it and in a subsequent visit at my oncologist's office, it fooled it fooled some nurses that were in there really room.
0: That's Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> right, quickly we got a little time, not much but for okay. the writing life se- segment uh, When <clears throat> did you first call when did you first call yourself a writer?
2: I think when I uh, got my first poem published, and I won an award, actually. I sent it to a contest in Canada. And it was a pure spiritual poem written uh, about G- uh, Jesus playing off a parable. And I was like, okay, I can get paid for this. <laughs> and it can get published online. Yeah. But it's it's a process. You don't wake up and suddenly say, I'm a poet. I think it that feeling evolves. You grow into it just like you grow into being a teenager or an adult or something else.
0: Yeah, well- The reason I ask that question is your bio says you've been writing poetry since 2009, but I know you've been around longer than 2009, and you've probably been writing (laughs) before 2009. Yes, It's just, that's when you started focusing on getting published and that kind of thing. Yes,
2: I I was reinventing myself after uh, a career as an intensive care nurse, a stay-at-home mom, raising our two Mm -hmm. daughters. Mm-hmm. then i uh went to seminary and taught uh biblical studies in a college uh community college in town mm-hmm. and uh then that's where the writing started when i got out of seminary i started doing writing and teaching and uh while i was learning hebrew i was struck with all the hebrew poetry and its mm-hmm. uh construction and so it was just a smooth flow into writing and learning about writing poetry in english
0: yeah and so when you're writing a book like this, uh, I, I normally ask authors about their writing process, but this, this one came with something else going on too. I mean, you're yes. going through this physical experience. Did you write in lots of different places? Did you have a writing desk you sat at? Uh, were you inspired to go outside of your space and write? W- where did you go to write?
2: I almost always have to create new work with a view of the out of doors. And our house has a three-sided porch that's very private, protected from wind and sun and all of that. It's it's my very, very happy place and mm. my most creative space. So I would sit out on the porch. Uh, maybe I would be wrapped up in a blanket uh, if it was cold. But uh, I would write outside, exposed to the outside world.
0: Mm. Were you searching for something in particular, or were you, were you searching for any truths in writing this book? Uh,
2: no, I was searching... What I had to search most deeply, and this is like going down the shaft of a mine and mining out of the veins of your memory and your perception, the deepest parts of you. I was trying to bring out the things that I felt and experienced in a way that someone else could read and understand what I went through. So the writing was really for me, and I gave that writing to the public uh, especially to women or families dealing with breast cancer, to say, here is what I felt because I want you to understand your own feelings if you're going through this or or the feelings of a beloved family member who might not be able to express it. Mm. Uh, that was important to me. So that was really the whole dynamic was what I came out needed to be on paper so that I could give it to someone else for them to use to their own, however they wanted to use it.
0: So sort of final question, because we're running out of time mm-hmm. here, but uh, as you, you've you gone through this traumatic experience, you've written about it, do you have any thoughts or advice for others who are going through an experience um, that might be physical or very emotional, taxing, and they're going to write about it? Do uh, you have any thoughts about mm-hmm. how to go about doing that?
2: Yes, I do. If nothing else, write down about your events of the day. About And especially about how you feel. How did that make you feel? And begin to write your emotions. And this is a perfect time in quarantine for anybody. It's stressing all of us. And I encourage everyone to pick up a pencil, paper, computer, keyboard, and just write about your experience. And the more you write, the rhythm and the lyric uh, just might show up. Because I was not trained as a poet. I have no Mm -hmm. writing background yet here, we have a book and and a lot of work.
0: Yeah, that's great. And congratulations. Well, there'll be information in the show notes about uh, your book and uh, links to to you and information about you as well. Uh, Don, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show and for persevering to bring this into the world. Super. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today another fine author giving voice to their written word.
1: Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author.
0: But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author.
1: Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone.
0: If you're inclined to help me help authors, give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter.
1: We'd love to have you as a
0: member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me.
1: Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media.
0: Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions.
1: You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com.
0: Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.